And now, proper propaganda. Pull my mic back, you like that? Journalists with journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. If you're just tuning into Civic Cipher, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. And my name is Q Ward. Yes, indeed. Um, and uh, I still want you to stick around. We got a lot more coming your way. Uh, we're going to talk about the Ahmad Aubrey verdict uh, next. Um, a little bit more positive than the first half of the show, hopefully. And uh, we're going to take some time to also discuss uh, the origins of policing in this country with our way black history fact. Um, and, you know, we, we, we're admittedly very critical of policing as an institution on this show. We, we understand that it might be necessary, but, you know, it could be better and our job is to be critical so that it can become better. So please stick around for that as well. Um, I think if you understand the origins of policing, then you understand how the systems um, began as oppressive and still maintain that uh, oppressive culture about them. But first, let us talk about how to become a better ally. And so uh, I want to talk about a, a story. This, um, my source is from CNN. I, I read an article about CNN about this. It was really cool, I thought. Some students at a Massachusetts high school held a walkout uh, to protest a racist video made by a white student to demand and to demand a change to the culture of racism in the school district, a top school official said. We heard them today, said Kevin W. Mulvey, who serves as the superintendent of Quincy Public Schools. Speaking to CNN, he described the walkout as a protest against, quote, racism, hate speech and injustice, end quote. He acknowledged that beyond the recent video, students have made complaints in the past about racism within the school district, saying the district confronted another recent incident last week that included hate speech and sexual harassment. A white freshman made a video over a year ago in which he used racist language, hate speech and hate speech against black people. And it recently resurfaced on social media, according to the Mulvey and a news release from school district. A black student approached the white student about the video and a physical altercation occurred um, on Tuesday. The white student was injured and needed to be treated for head injuries, Moby said. Students in the walkout called for disciplinary actions against the white student, no disciplinary actions against the black student, and immediate change as to how the administration handles racism. The and uh, it handles racism, yeah, that's it. And so um, just a neat example of some folks coming together and saying, you know what? this is not right not just a student but the way that the system is dealing with the student and folks getting together these are young folks getting together using their privilege to try to bring about some publicity to you know the changes that they want to see in the world and um so i want to salute them as our uh better allies and suggest that you our listener should aspire to become more like them now ahmaud aubrey so just like with the first part of the show, Q, what are your thoughts about the verdict? The verdicts on, uh, on that trial? What do you think? I'll say how I actually feel. Please. Relieved. Because I've gotten to a point now where I always expect people like this to get off. 
Even when we watch them murder us on video, I still expect them to get off. Like Kyle Rittenhouse. It's not that the trials are not even about whether or not they did it. It's not like they have to launch an investigation to figure out if these things happened or not. No, the trials are about whether or not they're going to be held accountable. And we're in a position where we kind of always know that they won't be. And in the event that we are, we celebrate as if there's some victory that happened. These people murdered a person on video. Like, what are, what are we even waiting to see that the judge is going to say? Like, I don't, I don't even understand. Like, we wait in anticipation to see if these people who we saw murder someone will be held accountable for that murder. And in this instance, they were. And there's some relief, but there's no satisfaction. And I know people will be listening like, well, hey, you, you, when Rittenhouse got off, you were so upset. Now these guys are being held accountable. Yeah, they're supposed to be held accountable. I don't, it's not like, I'm not asking that people get some type of excessive punishment for what they do. I'm not asking that people be punished more than they should be. But the absolute minimum that we should expect when we watch three people murder a person on video is that those three people are found guilty of murder because we know they did it. And listening to their defense attorney paint a picture of a person that was beneath being held accountable for murdering, describing him as dirty, reinforcing the idea that, you know, they're not even really people. They're not even really <laughs> worth us being so upset over. And they got, and she leaned into it to a point of where it's blatant. It's not even subliminal anymore. Right? You guys shouldn't punish these men for hunting this man down and murdering him. What was he even doing in that neighborhood? How dare he feel like he should even be able to exist in the same space as these people? Well, um, one thing that I will say is that unlike the Rittenhouse trial, the judge really felt like a judge that was there to make sure that everybody was held accountable. Everybody came correct. You understand there was no, okay, we're not going to use this language and we're, we're only going to say this and you can do this, but you can't do that. And there's no, no funny business. Right. And I get it. There's, and I said this in the first part of the show, there's a lot of inconsistencies with the criminal justice system and with the court system with sentencing and so forth. And this is why we say we, we look at trends. You know, I have a, I have a good friend. Um, her name is Alyssa works in DC and she follows trends, right? And we had a conversation on an airplane one time where, um, you know, when you take a step back and you look at overall what's happening, then you, you see how the, the system disproportionately affects black and brown people, 
and provides an advantage or, or you know, um, to, it provides an advantage to uh, folks who are less melanated, we'll say. Um, but these incidents, these, these instances rather, um, what we're looking at is, especially with the Ahmaud Aubrey, we have a judge who I feel is a little bit more judge-like when compared to the Rittenhouse trial. Um, the prosecutor was a little bit more on top of the game than the uh, defense attorney was at the, uh, I'm sorry, than the prosecutor was in the, um, in the Rittenhouse trial. Um, and that's just a personal opinion. You know, the, the pro prosecutor in the Rittenhouse trial was talking about like video games and do you play video games and things like that. that really didn't have a, they really translate into results, you know, and they wouldn't. Um, but, it, you know, you, you're, you made an excellent point. None of that should matter because it's literally on video. OK, and, and I'll say it. And, and this is the one thing that I loved about this trial is because, you know, folks with a little bit of sense could breathe a sigh of relief, you know, when this verdict was read. Um, if you show up with the gun, you're the threat. That that is that is a blanket statement across the board. You know, I, I mention all the time we've, we've been very critical of of the way policing has been done in this country. But this is something I wish every officer knew, you know, as a constant. They should like put it as a sticker in the car before they get out. <laughs> if you show up with the gun, you are the threat. You know, that's that's what it is. Every every single creature endowed with consciousness, it has its customary right to to protect its own life and to seek its customary freedom. That's a fundamental fact of nature. Everything's going to try to live, right? And if you show up with the, the device that is designed to end lives, then you're the threat. And in this trial, in Ahmaud Aubrey's trial, we saw the video and we saw what happened. This guy is doing his thing and you showed up with the gun and he was trying to defend himself from you because <laughs> if you had just driven down the street, he wouldn't have attacked you, you know? Same thing with the with the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, trial. But um, again, we're, we're coming to terms with, wow, you know, there's a lot of strange things going on, a lot of inconsistencies going on, you know, and. You know, I watched him read that verdict. Um, and you're right, there is no real. Satisfaction, you know, relief is a great word. Because it's a very scary thing to, to feel like, despite these courtrooms all being different in different states with different laws and different on stand your ground over here and, you know, whatever over there, different judges with different, you know, different juries with different outlooks, whatever. Um, but to feel like you're going to get a second gut punch in the, in the verdict of this Ahmaud Aubrey trial, that's a very scary feeling. So when they read the guilty verdict, you know, I know that that sense of relief, but you're right. There is no satisfaction there because immediately after that, what they do, they panned to his mother crying. And then it hits you. Her son is gone. And we're, we're dealing with a court. 
we're not even dealing with the fact, okay, how, why are we mistreating each other? Why are we so afraid of each other? Why do we hate each other so much? Why are we not listening to each other? You know, we're so far on, on, on opposite ends of ideas and, and, you know, whatever. We ask the question all the time, like, why in the world would people vote against their own interests? You know, it's a, it's a valid question. It makes a lot of sense. But, you know, as long as they can vote for something that's not us, you know, then that, that's all that it is, you know. And, and I, I can appreciate that because I've cast my vote in that same fashion before um, because I'll vote for anything as long as it's not Donald Trump. That represents a threat to my life. And, you know, I could, I could make an argument for that. And, you know, so there's a much bigger system that is causing issues like this to happen in the first place before we even get to the courts. You gotta, it's, it's a lot of steps you gotta get through to get to a court deciding whether or not the person who killed a person was guilty or innocent. You got the whole systemic, first you got the outlook. How do we view each other? How do we interact with each other? Then you got a, a society, like a framework that reinforces uh, subjugation, you know, where people think, well, black people just go to jail more because they're bad. There's people that really think that they don't wrap their heads around it beyond that point because they're not black. It's not their problem. You know, and then you have to get through policing. You know, we haven't even talked about school and education, the way that the education system fails poor people, black and brown people, et cetera. But, you know, we get to policing Then you got to go into the criminal justice system. And then if there's even charges brought, then you get to the verdict. And so there's all these systems in place that, um, all these steps rather in place that you have to get through before you can get to that point. And so, yeah, uh, to know that we got all the way to the end and there was a sense of relief. I think you nailed that one. You hit that right on the head. Um, but let, let us not forget that. Okay. So how about this Q? Do you, you remember how long it took those two guys to get arrested? Uh, the two guys that actually killed Ahmaud Arbery? I remember that I think the state prosecutor or the DA had a relationship with one of them and went out of her way to make sure they were not arrested. Yeah. It took them two months. Ladies and gentlemen, the United States justice system at work. So working exactly the way it was designed to. So what we see is obviously had there not been a video would have never happened because that video came out later and um they thought it had blown over you know so the video comes out and then that's what you know there she's been a guest on the show uh before queen yanajaha some other activists went down to um atlanta um or i'm sorry it wasn't atlanta it was uh georgia there's another city in georgia um and brought attention to it like yo this this guy lost his life these people killed him they chased him down in a truck and killed him that's the most lynching, like, <laughs> that's like the epitome of a lynching. And, and these guys are still at home. They got in a truck with guns and chased him down and murdered him in the street, died on the sidewalk. That's crazy. And so um, we can see that, yes, initially this was set up for these three men to go, go on about their lives. 
you know, they could say whatever they wanted to say, you know, whatever. But, you know, when you put all the videos together, it was a, a video of him walking into the house and then walking out, you know, maybe a minute later, it was a, an abandoned house, a construction zone or whatever. Just went in to check it out. Didn't take anything from the house. You know? I don't think it was an abandoned house. I think it was a house that hadn't even finished being built yet. Built, yeah. Uh, so that's probably a better way to say it. But no, no one lived there. It was like the doors were open. The windows were out of it. We just walked in, checked it out, went on about, about his jog. And then, um, uh, and then of course we saw the second video where, uh, you know, they, there was a little bit of a tussle. They rolled up on him a little bit of a tussle, shot him a couple of times and, or shot the gun a couple of times. And then he, he died on the, on the street. Um, that video changes things entirely. Um, and again, it's, well, I can't say it's impossible to claim self-defense when you're the person with the gun, you know, you're the, yeah, I was going to say, we've, we've seen that yeah, we saw on that video too. Recently. And we've seen it. <laughs> yeah. With written. Yeah. But, um, you know, back to the judge and the prosecutor, they, they were, the, the judge was fair, I believe, a little bit more fair, a little bit more objective. And the prosecutor was a little bit more on top of it. Not knocking the prosecutor in the in the Rittenhouse trial is just there was some things that that prosecutor in the in the uh, Rittenhouse trial had his hands tied. There was nothing that we could, you know, that that judge tied his hands and there, there was a limited framework in which that prosecutor could work. So, again, I'm not knocking anybody who was trying to help us. You know, yeah, once the once the judge found a way to dismiss <laughs> the underage kid with the assault rifle, being yeah, an underage well. kid with an assault rifle, then okay, then okay, there's nothing we can do here. Yeah, exactly. Um, hey, I heard that kid had a gun. No, he didn't. Okay, I guess he didn't. <laughs> I mean, we saw it. No, you didn't. Oh well. I mean, yeah, a Jedi. He, he used the Jedi mind trick on us. <laughs> Hey, the kid in the video has an assault rifle. No, he doesn't. Oh, okay. I guess he doesn't. <laughs> but yeah, so, um, you know, that's just, that's, that's what we got to deal with. But um, I do want to get your thoughts on this. So uh, this person's name is S. Lee Merritt, and he's a lawyer for Mr. Aubrey's family who called their defense, the defense of the men who were ultimately found guilty, an asinine defense. Uh, the victim who ran away from the threat, he said, before being cornered and shot to death while, quote, desperately trying to disarm his assailant, cannot be the aggressor, end quote. It was Mr. Aubrey, he said, who was engaging in self-defense. There is no other way to see this, he said. So, Again, I want to get your thoughts on it. I, I kind of know what they are, but good. I think it's a shame that that has to be articulated that Spelled way. out, yeah. Right, when it's so incredibly obvious that that's the truth, except this attorney knew that even with the video and even with facts that were incredibly obvious, that he had to use that type of language to hopefully get his point across to people who in a lot of cases just make it their business to purposely not subscribe to very straightforward logic. I'm looking at this video of a man running away, being cornered, 
trying to not be murdered, being murdered. But somehow I think he's still the reason why he got murdered. It's his fault. He shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have been black. He shouldn't have been at the at the, the property. He should have he he shouldn't shouldn't have been have, dirty. Yeah, he shouldn't have had dirty toenails. Like, what are we talking about, ma'am? His dirty toenails were somehow the reason why he deserved to be murdered that day. And no, she didn't say that. But why else describe that? Why else try to make this person out to be somehow less than, less than clean, less than good, less than deserving to not be murdered that day for simply being outside at the same time as the men that murdered him? They murdered him because they felt like it and because they felt like they could and because they felt like they could and get away with it. And they almost did. And it's a shame that we have to have a video and a very, very intelligent attorney with a perfect case for these men to be convicted of a crime. We watch them commit. You know, that's the same thing that you said when uh, the, uh, uh, the verdict came back from the officer that killed George Floyd. Your, your, your words are almost exactly the same that you almost need a perfect case to get a conviction like that. Um, but it's, it's a conviction nonetheless. And it, you know how it's, it's, it, I feel like it's kind of a left blow and a right blow. You know what I mean? The left blow was the Rittenhouse verdict and the right blow is the uh, Ahmaud Aubrey ver verdict or the, the verdict of the men who are guilty of murdering Ahmaud Aubrey. Um, because on the one hand, uh, it says, yeah, you know, we're entitled to defend ourselves. You know, we can, you know, we can take up arms and defend ourselves. You know, that's what happens. That's what it tells the country uh, after the Rittenhouse verdict. And then on the other hand, which I, I know it's a, not quite as high a profile, but it's in the same time. On the other hand, it says, well, wait a minute, hold on. If you're going to do that, you got to make sure that, you know, blah, 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 this, that, and the third. You know, and so it, it's it's a mixed bag, you know, and if anything, I, I wouldn't say that the world is a little bit better. Um, if I had to say something, I would say the world's a little bit worse. And, but it's it has a lot to do with that Rittenhouse verdict. You know, the, the people on the right are so charged by that. They're so happy with that. They're so elated with that. Um, I mean, that's the point. Right. Yeah. It's really sad. It's not that justice has been served. It's celebratory in a way that's like blatant vigilante, blatant white supremacy. And I heard somebody or saw somebody argue it can't be white supremacy because the people he killed were white and they're completely missing the point. The people that he killed were white, but they were in the streets in support of black people. Boom. Right. Did you guys not read anything about slavery? White people that freed slaves were considered criminal and shot too. White people that housed and helped free and fed and taught non-free black slaves were considered on the same side of the tracks as those black slaves. So the fact that this guy murdered people because they were in the streets protesting the mistreatment by black people, by law enforcement, 
made them somehow less worthy of justice, less worthy of their lives being worth more than being shot down by this kid who couldn't wait to get into the street and shoot people. Like, let's start. The kid got into a car, drove to another state with an assault rifle to shoot people and then shot them and then went home and then went to bars and took pictures and posed with people and had some had celebrities raise money for him. And now he's being lauded as some type of hero. Oh, and our former president's son posted a meme of his dad awarding this kid the Medal of Freedom. I'm not making this up, people. Well, again, a mixed bag. And, you know, we're here to talk about it and we're here to get through it together. That's what we do on Civic Cipher. Um, We recognize that black people are more than just the songs and the dances that you hear on the radio. And, you know, we we're actual people with actual lives and hopes and dreams. And we appreciate those of you who are standing with us and marching with us and protesting with us and trying to fight for a world that's fair for all of us. And as long as you keep that energy, we'll keep it too. Moving on the way black history fact. So in case you didn't know, uh, policing started as slave patrols. Um, so my source this week, uh, I borrowed heavily from the New Yorker uh, magazine. So I'll read through this. The origins of modern day policing can be traced back to the quote slave patrol end quote. The earliest formal slave patrol was created in the Carolinas in the early 1700s with one mission to establish a system of terror and squash slave uprisings with the capacity to pursue, apprehend, and return runaway slaves to their owners. Tactics included the use of excessive force to control and produce desired slave behavior. Um, I, uh, so this is a quote from their, like, uh, their, uh, when they get sworn in, their oath. So it's a quote, I, in the patroller's name, do swear that I will, as searcher for guns, swords, and other weapons among the slaves in my district, faithfully and as privately as I can discharge the trust reposed in me as the law directs to the best of my power. So help me God, end quote. Um, so that's the, yeah, that's the North Carolina Slave Patrol Oath. Slave patrols continued until the end of the Civil War and the passage of the 13th Amendment. Following the Civil War during Reconstruction, slave patrols were replaced by militia-style groups who were empowered to control and deny access to equal rights to freed slaves. Basically, we're going to change the title of your job to make it compliant, but, you know, don't go nowhere. Um, They relentlessly and systematically enforced black codes. If you don't know what black codes are, I want to make a note. We're going to talk about black codes one day. Um, strict local and state laws that regulated and restricted access to labor, wages, voting rights, and general freedoms for formerly enslaved people. In 1868, ratification of the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution technically granted equal protections to African Americans, essentially abolishing black codes. Jim Crow laws and state local statutes that legalized racial segregation swiftly took their place. By the 1900s, local municipalities began to establish police departments to enforce local laws in the East and Midwest, including Jim Crow laws. Local municipalities leaned on police to enforce and exert excessive brutality on African-Americans who violated any Jim Crow law. 
Jim Crow laws continued through the end of the 1960s. Remember, this is from the New Yorker. This isn't from Ramses. This isn't from blackpeople.com or nothing like this. The New Yorker, right? Um, so I'll read a quote. The quote, the crisis in policing is the culmination of a thousand other failures, failures of education, social services, public health, gun regulation, criminal justice, and economic development, end quote. In 1868, ratification of the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution technically granted equal protections to African-Americans, essentially abolishing black codes. Um, and Jim Crow laws. Yeah, the Jim Crow laws continued through the 1960s. Okay, perfect. All right. So your first reaction to that, your initial reaction to policing as a uh, form of keeping slaves subdued slave patrols uh, many of today's laws the bill of rights the constitution all of these things were established at a time where murdering black people was just something we're doing today like hey go to work and then they got this lynching you're like y'all trying to go y'all oh, trying to go to the picnic picnics. or you know what i mean y'all trying to go because just get the kids and just meet us over there because they're they're like they got the hanging today so you guys want to grab a couple of beers and just go they, they called them picnics no no i mentioned that yeah, so yeah that's so what i'm saying i want people to know that picnics that's that the, the nick part is it comes from a different word yeah i'm sure you can put together it comes from exactly what it sounds like family would from. go and have a picnic that's why we call so, them outings <laughs> instead of picnic we don't use that word anyway go ahead so everything about all the things that we stand on sing about now came from a time where we were property and whatever our owners felt like doing to us was okay including burning us to death hanging us to death, shooting us to death was not only not thought of as criminal, but was thought of as completely moral. If you look at the pictures, they're families, husband, wife, kid, like nuclear family, husband, wife, kids, dog, white picket fence family. They're smiling, having a good time. Nobody felt like anything was wrong. None of those laws and none of, the, none of the things that were put into place from that time have done a lot of changing since then, right? The profit centers have changed. The way that the capitalist society makes money has changed, and that's afforded us a few more freedoms. But this massive amount of progress that we feel like we've made, we haven't. And the police, the slave patrols still operate the same way. And you can tell this from something as simple as a traffic stop. Okay, when we get pulled over for not doing anything, drug dogs are called. When they get pulled over for actually committing crimes or picked up or arrested for actually committing crimes, they get taken to get something to eat and or helped down the steps. So if you want to know how I feel, I can't really express all of that. Well, but well, go ahead. it's not good. <laughs> well, um, 
that's all right. That's all right. The, the, the point is, is that we need to understand it. We need to know where it comes from. And we need to use that to provide nuance and a framework for when we discuss, you know, as a community, our issues with policing and, and the way policing is done. There's, there's this mentality that's real heavy on the right that wants to divorce this country from its past. This is why critical race theory is being challenged and, and so forth. They, they, they really want to divorce themselves from the history of this country. And you can't really do that because the history, the legacy and the framework, we have to examine the history to understand what it's doing, how it's actively harming people and how it has harmed people for such a long time. And, and gives us a sense of scale and the snowball effect and so forth. And so it's important for us to talk about these things. And that's why we have the show. And that's why we do this. And because you're listening, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening to us. And hopefully we've said something that has really resonated with you today. So before we get out of here, my name is Ramses Ja. They call me Q Ward. And uh, please hit the website, civiccypher.com, to download this and any previous episodes. Um, you can also check out all our social media at civiccypher. And uh, please consider making a donation to our website as well. Um, it really helps the show grow, and we've been growing. And until next week, y'all, peace. Hey, yo, we handle it. These brothers are fabulous. Dilated, showing you where I'm traveling. World is between from sunlight to moon. Busting off stage like gunfights the moon. You like that? Journalists with journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. With press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander. Here to fight the slander with the pop.